Hello, listeners. Apologies for the release being a few hours late this morning. My strawberry plants have been spreading like crazy, and I had to transplant them into a new garden box this morning since we had an unexpected reprieve from the heat wave. Welcome to the second special summer edition of the Views from the World Tree podcast. As a quick reminder, during our two-week summer hiatus, we will be bringing you our greatest hits from previous episodes. Today is a throwback to another of our most downloaded episodes. This is Season 2, Episode 1, which aired on January 9th, 2022. Welcome to Views from the World Tree. On today's episode... We channel our inner Duran Duran and get hungry for the reintroduction of wolves into the wild in the inner mountain west. And now, on with the show. Oh man, uh, I'm glad I didn't read what you wrote for the introduction on the notes before you said that because that has got to be the best (laughs) introduction I've ever heard. Yeah. Sleep deprived Adam means silliness. So I like it. <laughs> Perhaps we should uh, keep you up for multiple days on end every time we uh, record. <laughs> uh, I Actually, think people no, would probably get tired not. of that. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah. Welcome to season two. Views from the world tree. I, I feel like. That's something to celebrate, right? We we made it through more than one season. Assuming we make it through this episode. <laughs> well, both of us are a little sleep deprived, so who knows? <clears throat> we'll see where it goes. There you go. Oh, yes. I see. Good news, everyone. Um... I guess I'll start off with the uh, with the news of the day. Uh, so, um, since last week, nothing much has really been going on. I've been back to work and back to working and not sleeping and working out and all that. But uh, ended up watching two shows that I really liked. Um, one, I watched and completed the fourth season of Cobra Kai, and the finale gave me chills. I don't want to give anything away, but I will say if you are a Karate Kid fan at all, watch them. That's one I'm going to have to get into then because I started watching when it first came out, first season, and kind of got busy with other things and haven't been back in for a while. So I'll have to set up some time and binge it. Yeah, this this fourth season, they took all the characters, all the new characters, and really fleshed them out and really made them, made it so you cared about the quote-unquote bad guys as much as you care about the quote-unquote good guys. And um, it's really, really well done, really well written. And surprisingly, these, these young... 20 year old kids are some of the best actors that I've seen come through Hollywood in a while. Nice. Uh, a good relatable villain is always something that hooks me in. So I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. 
Um, the other one, my wife and I uh, have finally embraced our Discovery Plusness and have uh, been not really binge watching because it's hard to binge watch um, educational programming. Uh, yeah. But we have been watching Crikey, It's the Irwins, and I really want to go to Australia Zoo now. <laughs> I've not uh, not heard of that one. I can hazard a guess as to what it's about just based on the name, but I'm assuming it's uh, his son and Yeah, it's, company. it's basically the a day in the life of at the Australia zoo. So it follows his wife, uh, his daughter and his son as they kind of, uh, run the zoo now. And one of the coolest things I've got to say, they found an interview clip and the show starts with him, uh, basically saying that the only thing that would make him quit, uh, what he's doing, like spreading conservation and all of that stuff is uh, when his kids were old enough to take on his mantle and do it in his stead. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really cool to see his family just really taking over. And I, I got to say, his son is just like Steve Irwin. It is, <laughs> it, it's uncanny. I saw an episode of, uh, it was one of the talk shows. I don't remember if it was Colbert or Fallon, but he was on one of those shows. I think it was on, on Jimmy Fallon's. I forget which one he's on tonight show or late night or whatever, but yeah, he was definitely a natural when it came to everything from handling the, the giant snakes to addressing the camera. Oh, Seems yeah. like it's a really good fit for him. He's, he's amazing. And his sister, uh, she's, so it's really funny. Um, Robert Irwin, uh, has really taken over the reptiles, mm-hmm. loves snakes, loves lizards, loves the crocodiles. He's kind of taken over the mantle and does the crocodile show and all that stuff. Uh, and his sister, Bendy, she's really into the mammals. So she's all over like the koalas and the uh, <laughs> giraffes and all of that stuff, at least in season one. And so it's kind of cool how they each have their, their own niche that they like. And then you've got Terry, his, uh, his wife, um, Steve Irwin's wife, sorry, who kind of does it all. Uh, she is an amazing, <laughs> amazing person. <laughs> and it's really fun to watch this family because growing up, Terry, she was kind of a, she wasn't comfortable in front of the cameras. She didn't have Steve Irwin's personality. Granted, I don't think anybody can have Steve <laughs> Irwin's personality. Yeah. Um, but to see her kind of come into her own and see how she has taken on the mantle and helped run the zoo and raise these two amazing kids and just continued the, the mission of uh, sharing conservation. It's really cool. Definitely worth checking out. Nice. I'll have to put that one on the list too. So, yeah, so that's basically what I did. I went to work and I watched TV. What did you do? <laughs> um, so I so I had um, Monday this week off. My company gives it to us, gives it to us as a paid holiday because New Year's was over the weekend. So 
I was kind of at home alone. My wife had gone back to work. So I was sitting at my computer and I was like, you know what? I have a lot of unplayed games on Steam <laughs> that I picked up as part of like humble bundles or, you know, on some of the the crazy yearly sales, you know, you can get games for a couple bucks. And so um, I went through and created a list of all the games that I have not ever actually like launched and played. <laughs> And it's about 500 of them. So, Oof. yeah, <laughs> of my 700 and something, or maybe it's 800 now, I don't know, collection on Steam. Uh, haven't touched about 500 of them. So I did some Twitch streaming for the first time in, in quite a while and just, you know, put the list up in alphabetical order. can't talk alphabetical order and set a timer up and said, you know what? I'm going to play each game for 10 minutes. And if I, after 10 minutes, I feel like I would want to keep playing it. I'll just make a note and move on to the next one. And if after 10 minutes, I am not interested, I'll just uninstall it. So there you go. That's what I was doing. (laughs) Um, I tuned in for a little bit. There was a game where you were putting, it looked like coins into a slot machine in ancient Egypt. And I was really confused <laughs> about what was going on. But it, after about three minutes of watching you play this, I kind of went, oh, that actually looks kind of fun. Um, <laughs> that was an interesting one. Um, so that one is called Seven Grand Steps. Um, and it's, I mean, like I said, it's on Steam. It's kind of weird. You've got a like a circular board and you have little tokens on it and you have to plan out your moves because at the end of each turn, the wheel spins and the tokens get closer to these crocodiles and you don't want your people to get eaten by the crocodiles. So it's, uh, okay. yeah, it's all about uh, this ancient, this family and ancient uh, civilization trying to survive and, uh, you know, come up with new technologies like irrigation and things like that. It's definitely kind of weird. It's got some mixed reviews on Steam. Uh, but it's kind of a refreshing mechanic, I guess. I there It's 20 bucks, which is a little bit steep for what it is. Ooh. Like, I could see it at maybe like a, you know, a $9, $9.99, whatever. I don't know what it was when I got it. I'm sure it was part of a bundle of some kind, but currently it's 19.99, which is a little bit pricey. Were so. were there any hidden gems that were just a lot more fun than you thought or were they all kind of eh, okay? Um so I've only been through the first 10 or so. Um so the <laughs> There's definitely some weird ones. Um, there was one that I just couldn't get to launch. It was too buggy. Um, but so far in those first 10, uh, the one that I decided to keep and revisit is called 1849. Um, and as you can imagine, it's set during the California gold rush. And you go when you have to like build a town, populate it with workers, build farms, 
build like saloons for entertainment and stuff. And then uh, once you kind of get through the introduction, you establish trade routes to different areas of the of the American West. And it's all done in kind of this like three quarters top down isometric camera view with uh, some really beautiful artwork and stuff. So I will probably be playing that a little bit more. It was a lot of fun. It's like Settlers of Catan meets uh, Oregon Trail. I just pulled up uh, the preview. It looks almost like one of those clicky Facebook games. Kind of, yeah. It's a little animated pixel art. It looks kind of fun. It was, it, yeah, pleasantly surprised with that one. So I'll have to tune in for your next stream that you play that after, <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was my news. Nothing else too crazy happening. So <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. It, it, I loved that idea uh, of going through and playing your Steam library because. I know every time I open up my Steam and look at my library, I've got hundreds of games and maybe 10 that are actually installed. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, and I I was starting to feel bad because I was looking for a game to play, and I was like, you know, there's a lot of these games that I'm sure the developers put a lot of time and effort into. So I feel like I need to, should at least try them. To see if, you know, like you said, maybe there's some hidden gems. Maybe there's something in here that I would really enjoy that I just haven't got around to. Yeah. I know I know I'm guilty of looking at the next shiny thing, the next shiny expansion for whatever MMO or next AAA title that has huge groups of uh, people working on it. But I don't know. I feel like almost like stardew valley sometimes you hit these indie developers <laughs> who have just made a passion project that just really takes your soul into these games and yeah you you took the words out of my mouth with that one i was just about to say like i mean stardew valley it was just a little indie developer that i was like yeah, i've heard good things about this you know i should give it a try and i mean i've got hundreds and hundreds of hours in this game on PC, Switch, Xbox, even on like mobile. And it was all developed by one dude. So he's still pushing updates whenever he's able to. He's got a new one that he's working on, but yeah, you know, I still pushing bug fixes. I mean, his last update was December 22nd, you know, so two weeks ago. He, he's really been great about uh, about supporting it, and it's got an awesome community of people. And let's face it, with Crazy World today, sometimes it's nice to just sit and relax and grow some parsnips. <laughs> that, those farming sim games are always fun. I, uh, I've been playing a little bit of Farming Simulator 22, um, which is not quite a AAA studio. I, I guess Giant maybe could be considered that but they're they're definitely not an indie developer anymore either and it's just relaxing 
to do something uh, in a pattern type of thing. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, anything else? Sorry, I feel like I'm hijacking your. No. <laughs> Hijack hijacking away. your news. No, that, that was it. Like I said, pretty, pretty laid back week. Not a lot going on. All right. Well, I guess we'll jump into this week's episode. Um, we'll free introduction. How we feel about it. <laughs> I actually, I'm excited for this one because I know you come from a little bit different uh, ideas on this one than I do. And so it'll be interesting to hear your take um, after we go through some pros and cons uh, that I was able to pull up um, through some ecology classes that I've taken at the college level, as well as uh, some current um, magazines and whatnot. So, Okay, yeah. yeah. I'll be honest, I this is a topic that I've heard a lot about, but have not spent the time to actually go in and um, do any like independent research. So I am, I stand willing and ready to have my paradigms shifted. (laughs) There you go. I like it. Let's, uh, let's shift those paradigms. Um, (laughs) do you want to start with the pros or the cons? Um, so I can start with the pros. Um, Cause this is, this is something that I've heard and, and believe to be accurate. So okay. it's a little bit less controversial too. I think even people that are against this process can agree that it helps increase biodiversity, um, helps feed scavengers such as coyotes, ravens, crows, uh, even like eagles and some of the, the raptors. It also helps control the deer and elk population, which as someone who grew up hunting and in an agricultural area, I recognize the damage that deer and elk can do if they're allowed to, you know, to overpopulate an area. Um, They can really move through a zone and just completely decimate um, like trees and, and plant life which in turn causes problems for animals. So, um, yeah, both of those things, huge pros. Um, also, um, I know that there was an article actually just today that I saw on one of the local news sites here um, about the Yellowstone wolf pack uh, because they recently removed some of the hunting restrictions in um, – this was actually in Montana, so it's on the other side of the park from me. But uh, some of the wolf pack that is makes its home in Yellowstone straight outside the park, and about 20 of them were, were trapped and killed legally by hunters in Montana. Um, but that, that's the next pro on the list here is, you know, Yellowstone has a huge uh, tourism industry, and... Yeah, everybody likes to come and see the buffalo, but the wolves are also a big part of that. And so 
since they're so rare in the wild, I know a lot of people will make a point to travel somewhere so that they can see them, which in turn benefits local economies and um, all kinds of other conservation efforts, both at the local and federal government levels. So, yeah, I, I, as far as we're going, both of those seem like good pros to me. I'm going to let you talk while I take a drink of water. No, you're good. <laughs> um, the next pro that we wanted to kind of cover uh, is balance. It balances the ecosystem. Um, despite what many like anti-introduction groups will say, wolves tend to kill only for food, not for sport. Uh, I've read so many articles of people saying, oh, they they get bored and they kill for fun. No, that's a waste of energy. They're not going to waste that much energy to kill a cow just because they think it's fun. Not going to happen. Um, and uh, current conservationists and ecologists say that uh, that the wolves tend to only target livestock during times of like severe drought or famine when there's just no other food available. Which, unfortunately, um, happens every now and again, right? Yeah. Uh, the next one, I, I found this list and I added it despite despite me going, no, this is a bunch of BS. Uh <laughs> Advocates believe that wolf packs and rancher or like wolf pack groups, monitoring groups and ranchers can work together to control um, interactions between livestock and, uh, and wolves. Um, They -hmm. believe that through GPS tracking of the pack, they can uh, alert ranchers to bring all their cattle inside the barns when the wolf packs in the area and, it sounds great in theory, but coming from a family of ranchers, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say no. It, it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. There's a lot of head of cattle, especially up in Wyoming, northeast, or northwestern Colorado, that type of thing. Um, just No. Yep, ain't uh, ain't no barn big enough to, <laughs> to hold a decent sized herd, but right. and the the time required too. I mean, I again, I'm not an expert, but the range of a wolf pack, I believe, is pretty extensive. Like they can cover a lot of ground, and you can't um, mobilize a, an ad hoc cattle drive unless you have you know enough notice and. And people on hand and even then cows don't move very fast no so I, I i could possibly see it with wool producers such as sheep or um llamas yeah but i don't i don't see it with cattle i don't see it with horses i mean yeah we'll leave it <laughs> at that um and then the uh there was a study uh, that kind of reiterates the wolves rarely target livestock um and 
we'll cover this in the con list too. But the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, back in 2015 claimed that 4,300 livestock were killed by wolf packs in the United States. Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service were only able to verify 161 of these claims that year. Um, they're kind of going against each other, kind of... Uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife is saying that the uh, Department of Agriculture is fudging numbers. The ranchers are reporting deaths caused by disease or accident or bobcat or uh, mountain lion bear deaths as wolf to get the um, funds, the uh, the compensation compensation from the government. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's there's kind of a he said, she said type of situation going on with this <laughs> one. Yeah, and I imagine U.S. Fish and Wildlife, uh, while they would like to verify more of those, they probably don't have the manpower or the resources to, yeah. you know, to send somebody out every time that a, uh, a cow is killed. <clears throat> so... And I'm sure the last thing a wildlife biologist wants to do is a cow autopsy every time a cow <laughs> loses its life out in the fields. Yeah. True. Um, I'll let you take over the reins. The next couple. Okay. Um, so we have here, wolves create an ecology of fear, um, which... Sounds scary, but it's actually a good thing. Um, deer, elk, moose, etc., have a natural fear of wolves, which uh, you can imagine causes them to be a little bit more nervous, a little bit more skittish when they're out in the open, which limits grazing time, and it actually encourages them to move on to a new area rather than completely clear out a valley, and that helps with Grassland growth cycles helps control erosion from from weather and allows for more diverse flora and fauna in the valleys where wolves are present. So there you go. Uh, in Canada, ranchers have found that it, sometimes it's as simple as the simple things that keep wolves out of their fields and through. I want to know the guy that dis discovered this, but uh, apparently having a free swinging rope with flags tied to it, like those little plastic construction flags mm -hmm. tied to it, creates enough uncertainty and movement, especially when the wind's blowing, that wolves will uh, tend to avoid that area for fear of being trapped or <laughs> um, attacked by something that they're not aware of. And so... A rope with flags apparently has saved quite a few cattle up in Canada. Nice. So it's like uh, hanging CDs in the tree to discourage magpies. Yeah, I, I, kind of the same thing. Cool. And it's always the intelligent animals that seem to be scared by the most simple things, let's be honest. <laughs> That's probably why they're intelligent, because, <laughs> you know, they're skittish, so they live longer. That's true. Unless they go to Montana. Um, anyway. Sorry. Bad joke. Too soon. 
<laughs> That's all good. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we have any people in Montana, but if they do, they can write an angry tweet. We'll make sure that Steve gets it. <laughs> I, I may even read it on the air. There you go. <laughs> uh, so government and non-government agencies actually will also work with ranchers uh, to help mitigate wolf hunting practices on their property. Uh, but the drawback to that is that ranchers have to do the work um, to make those best practices work and to implement them on their lands. Um, we've kind of talked about it with biodiversity, uh, but wolves, uh, help keep the herds healthy. Um, I don't know how many of you all have listened to or watched, uh, the nature documentaries, uh, of the great caribou migrations and all of that, but wolves, um, they don't go after the strongest in the herd. They go after the weak and the old and the arthritic and all of that and they try to isolate them from the herd and so actually removing things that slow the herd down can help increase reproductive rates and whatnot in the herd of elk moose um, all of that and they uh, using this logic some scientists actually speculate that uh, chronic wasting disease which is really common uh, once deer herds get very large in an area um, that wolves would probably target these animals um, and kind of keep that from spreading to other animals within the herd. Yeah. And chronic wasting disease or CWD is that, that is something I know about because like you said, it, it does happen in large deer and elk populations. That's something that, uh, honestly, it's a little bit scary. Um, it's caused by, uh, prion, which if you've not read about those type of diseases, <laughs> go ahead and Google it and be ready not to sleep for a while. It's not a, a virus in the traditional sense. It's not a bacteria. It's a like a malformed protein. And they, like, you can't kill it with medicine or vaccines. You can't cook it out of meat. Um, so, I mean, this is like mad cow disease was caused by something similar. And there's a... Uh, never know how to say this, but Kreutzfeldt jacob disease. Uh, there's a couple other ones. There's one that infects cows, uh, bovine spongiform encephalopathy. Anyway, they're pretty scary. Like some of them can pass to humans. And a lot of times you don't know that an animal is infected with it because they don't show symptoms for sometimes a year or two. And once you uh, have been infected with these proteins, if there's something that can, if they're of a type that can reproduce inside humans, then it's kind of just a ticking time bomb. There's really nothing that can be done for it. So preventing CWD is definitely a huge pro <laughs> in my book. But, yeah. Um, and then just one last thing that uh, 
we wanted to bring up um, is the intelligence of these animals. So wolves are incredibly intelligent. And without allowing their numbers to get to a comfortable level where they're not, you know, constantly at fear of being wiped out, we could potentially be missing out on a chance to see what they can do, you know, what life could be like for these animals without humans interfering. Which is kind of funny because we're interfering to reintroduce them to their native areas. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) We wouldn't have to reintroduce them if we didn't kill them all off in the first place. So there's our list of pros. Um, Now on to all the arguments against wolf-free introduction. Um, So the cons. Uh, The detriment to agriculture. Um, There's a problem that happens and uh, a lot of ranchers, it's their entire livelihood is at stake. And if a wolf pack moves in and finds that, you know what, the, the elk and the moose, they can run forever. These cows, they're fat and slow. I'll just take uh, take one of these guys down. Um, and it, it becomes very much a, if I don't sell so many cattle to market for slaughter, I'm going to lose everything because here in America, we don't subsidize our, our agriculture as much as other places in the world. And it actually kind of creates a very toxic environment for people that do decide to go into the agricultural industry. Um, you could listen to that a little bit more. I can't remember when we did that in season one, but we did talk about a little bit about where food came from. But um, because of this, not only are the ranchers impacted, but entire packs have been cold over the loss of a single cow just to get them out of the way. And kind of like what Adam was saying with this uh, 20, 30 wolves up in Montana that were killed because of uh, cattle deaths. And so it's a... It, it, the government's losing money. They reintroduced. They have to reimburse ranchers, and it's a failed relocation. And the the ranchers are losing out. It's just it's a lose lose for everybody uh, when wolves do target livestock. Yeah, and uh, relocation is expensive. You know, like you said, it, it costs money. Uh, an estimated. 200 grand to a million dollars, depending on the size of the wolf pack being relocated. And we all know that the government <laughs> spends a lot of money too much in my opinion, but, um, and I mean, money could be used to help humans, right? So it could be used for, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, unemployment, government subsidized housing. There's so many things that money could be spent on. And so a lot of times people that are against relocation, that's a big argument. Why are we spending so much money on wild animals when we could be better taking care of, of ourselves? Yep. Um, there's another issue with uh, wolf packs that some people may go, Oh, it's not a big deal or whatnot, but um, 
Unfortunately, wolves like to hunt the same things that humans like to hunt. Um, but because of the way that wolves target their uh, prey, they tend to have one or two uh, kind of scouts that will look for the weakest of the animal. And then the other pack will come in from the other side and they'll kind of meet in the middle and try to isolate a single animal. Um, unfortunately, because of the way they hunt, uh, deer herds, elk herds have been known to be separated by the wolf pack where the herds now, instead of one large herd, have two small herds. Um, herd managers, wildlife biologists use GPS tracking to kind of track these elk, moose, deer herds. And they do head counts and to make sure that there's enough um, animals or how many animals need to be uh, need to be killed that year to make sure the population doesn't boom. And if the herds do get split, it not only can create unhealthy an unhealthy imbalance with uh, larger herds, it also can limit the amount of permits available to humans and if all the animals with gps trackers are in a smaller herd than what the actual herd is and so the uh, wildlife biologists are like oh we can only give out 500 permits this year instead of our normal 2000 or whatnot which in turn lowers income of the area lowers conservation stamps lower tourism all of that stuff and so it's kind of a trickle down effect at that point yeah. Um, also, there are a lot of inconsistent legal protections from one state to another. Uh, wolves were recently taken off of the endangered species list in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and parts of Oregon and Washington and are no longer found in the wild in these states, no longer federally protected. Uh, in Minnesota, they're labeled as threatened, not endangered, which has different protections entirely. Uh, hunting permits for predators can happen for threatened species to help with gene pool diversity. Uh, but all of these kind of weird mix of what's legal and what's not um, can affect relocation efforts in these states because sometimes you have to relocate across state lines and it, it just gets messy, lots of red tape. Well, we, uh, we talked about uh, a wolf pack their native range is huge. And um, the only reason why it was even on the ballot to reintroduce a pack to Colorado is because one of the packs from Yellowstone made it from northwestern Wyoming, Idaho, Montana border, all the way down to Colorado. And we had wolves in Colorado that were introduced in Yellowstone that have made it a very long way all the way down. And so you, you could reintroduce wolves to Colorado, but next year, perhaps they decide to winter in Utah or even down to New Mexico, or they follow the, the deer herds and end up up in Alberta. Like there's no telling where these wolves will go as they're hunting. Right. Yeah. They don't care about state borders. Right. Maybe they should, but they don't. 
Um, if they did, they would all flee to Colorado. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're they're still considered endangered here, so we can't hunt them. <laughs> um, and then the last con, unfortunately, and you get this a lot in literature, uh, that in the early days of wolf pack introduction, um, people would grab the most readily available wolf species and kind of throw it into an area where this wolf species wasn't originally found. So one of the more famous ones, um, when Yellowstone was first looking at figuring out how to control the elk herds without issuing a lot of hunting permits, they uh, trapped a pack of Mexican wolves from New Mexico (laughs) and reintroduced them up in Yellowstone. And the wolves did not attack the elk, and the cold actually drove them down into the valleys where they slowly starved to death, and it did not do anything that it ha- they wanted it to do. The Mexican wolves ended up enjoying rabbits, which they didn't want the wolves to eat, but that's more closely to what they ate on the New Mexican and in New Mexico, Arizona, and Mexico. And so (laughs) just uh, when you have the wrong species in the wrong area, you tend to have bad science projects rather than conservation efforts. (laughs) It's a good way of putting it. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, So we've kind of gone through the pros and cons. Um, I feel like I've been talking a lot, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Adam. Uh, <laughs> after hearing this, your thoughts? Wolves. Um, I, I don't know. This one's tough for me. I, you know, I come from a, a ranching and agriculture background, and so it's kind of been ingrained in me the argument that you know, wolves are a threat and they damage herds and cause all these problems. But at the same time, like there's benefits to them. And I don't know, I think we, I'm definitely not a vegetarian, but I think Americans eat too much like beef as it is because cows are a huge plague on this planet. (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole other episode topic, but I, yeah, I think less cattle is not a terrible thing. I I don't know. I like most things I'm going to come down somewhere in the middle. I just don't know exactly where I think more accurate data is needed. Um, I've personally seen coyote attacks on livestock I have never actually personally seen wolf attack on livestock, but that's not to say it doesn't happen. Um, I just, I grew up in an area where coyotes were a lot more common than wolves. So yeah, squarely in the middle. (laughs) How political of you. Uh, (laughs) I'm actually going to go, it's weird because I come from 
in case you're new to the show, Adam and I are cousins. Um, <laughs> and so I also come from an agricultural family background. Uh, on one side of the family, we bred horses. On the other side of the family, we bred cattle. Um, so both of these animals have been attacked uh, by wolf packs in the past. There's a reason why European settlers uh, tried to kill and call the wolf packs when they settled into these areas. Um, but uh, there's a part of me that just has this uh, romantic viewpoint of the wolves, right? That there's this fierce independence, this fierce intelligence. Um, and I, I don't see them as the snarling uh, devil with fur that's out to destroy people's lives. Uh, through a lot of my studies in biology, ecology, um, environmental science, I see them as a gift to the area that they're in, right? Um, apex predators tend to keep everything in proper level. So I see it as wolves will limit the uh, deer and elk herds, which in turn will won't eat as many like aspen and uh, pine saplings, which will help the forests regrow after disturbances, which adds more shelter for other animals. Uh, you mentioned coyotes tend to attack livestock. I read a paper where in the presence of wolves, coyotes take a secondary uh, predator thing. They're no longer apex in that area. And so they tend to wait for a wolf pack to kill. Mm-hmm. And then they become the scavengers that they were actually meant to be. <laughs> um, so it, it's kind of a trickle down effect. And I think it, with what we know right now about how ecosystems work, it's worth a try. I mean, we're not, wolves tend to live 15 ish years in the wild. We've got 15 years of GPS tracking where we can strictly track their movements. And so we've got 15 years to see, and maybe it's a dangerous experiment when human and people's livelihood are at stake, but I think it is a good thing to try. So I'm going to go. Yes. uh, If they're found in the area rather than introduce reintroducing, like adding to the genetic diversity of the area and seeing if it actually does do everything that we theorize that it will do. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up an interesting point about kind of the romanticized view of a wolf. Um, My wife and uh, some other close friends sometimes joke about uh, the, like, I don't know, there's the, the whole concept of, like, you know, what's your spirit animal <laughs> that sometimes is, like, on a BuzzFeed quiz or whatever. And I've been told that 
a wolf would be my spirit animal if I had one. <laughs> and so I, I can, I can kind of empathize with that connection, just feeling that the draw to some of the things that they symbolize the intelligence, the appetite for freedom, um, instincts. And so I, it does make me sad when I read about declining wolf populations and, and things like that. So <clears throat> I think they definitely need to be protected and reintroduced. I think where possible, if we can keep them separate, separate from like cattle and other livestock, I think there's, you know, things to be done there, but it doesn't necessarily need to be achieved through, you know, culling the wolf packs. It can be achieved through other means. I'm not the expert that gets to decide what those are, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's worth doing what we can to preserve them while still protecting uh, ranchers livelihoods without going overboard and, you know, declaring open season on the wolf packs. So. Well said. I, I, I like that wolf's your spirit animal. I always, uh, always claim that the wolf is my spirit animal as well. Just, I love the, <laughs> there, there's something magical about them, but yeah, we must be related. Uh, maybe. <laughs> or we're both introverts and kind of intelligent. I don't know. <laughs> or we think we are. <laughs> Fair. Anyway. All right. Uh, that, that'll bring us to our mindfulness moment uh, this week. Um, and our, our mindfulness moment comes from kind of a strange, a strange source. Um, so it, I don't know if you're, you all are aware, but uh, Desmond Tutu um, passed away recently, and so I uh, I tuned into the um, the National Cathedral, which is a uh, Anglican church here in the United States, um, on Sunday to kind of listen to what they were saying about him and his life because he was very, um, very important in the anti-apartheid movement in uh, South Africa. And um, as I was sitting there, I was listening, and uh, Reverend Canon Leonard L. Hanlon Sr., uh, he shared this quote, and he said, when we grow together, we grow together when we help each other. We grow together when we encourage each other. We grow when we look out for each other, and we grow when we love each other. Um, and I really, for some reason, this quote just resonated with me as I was listening. And I love it because it fits a lot of my goals of being a human, um, where I, I always want to be there for people who are struggling to help lift people up. And I in a world where we are growing more and more like divided messages like this, just give me hope that somebody's listening somewhere. Uh, Cause I honestly do believe that if we stop looking at ways to 
harm each other, either emotionally or like physically or any of that, and actually figure out how to get along and live together, that there's nothing we can't accomplish. And so that's kind of why I shared, decided on that quote. So that's our uh, mindfulness moment for the week. I like it. I'm always, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to say that I always am the best at this, but that is some of my goals as well is trying to unite instead of divide whenever we can. There's a lot in this world that divides us. And there's a a running joke that people like me that sit squarely in the the middle of the political spectrum are just hated by both sides, (laughs) which is is true in some cases, but I, I really do think that if we try, we can find more in common than we can find things that separate us. So yeah, it's a good message. Awesome. Uh, I actually turned off the notes, so that'll end our show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for everybody that popped in on the live uh, stream on Facebook. You can always uh, catch us here every Thursday night starting around 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time uh, is when we go live on Facebook. You get to hear the episode with all of its dead air awkwardness and (laughs) all of its um, innate awesomeness as well. Uh, You got if you tuned in, you would have seen me dancing to Duran Duran, even though you couldn't hear the music. Anyway, <laughs> um, join us next week as we kind of look at the uh, the first quarter of the Marvel Universe. Um, we would do all of the Marvel movies, but my lazy butt has not seen them all. So we are going to go all the way up through the second Thor movie next week. See you then. <laughs>